1: Thank you very much, Shane. A major recruitment and retention problem within on Shia Corner has been highlighted in the Irish Independent this morning. They reveal almost one in four Garda stations around the country had fewer Garda to tackle crime at the start of this year compared to 12 months earlier, while 42 stations have no permanent Garda attached to them. Joining me now is Paul Williams, special correspondent with the Irish Independent, uh, Lisa Chambers, leader of Shanna and uh, Brendan O'Connor, president of the Garda Representative Association. Good morning and welcome. Welcome to One and All. We'll go to you, Brendan, Uh, first of all. We spoke to you not too many uh, weeks ago about uh, this problem, but reading the reports this morning, uh, I didn't realise it was as bad as it now appears.
2: Yes, it's it's a serious problem that has been highlighted by our association, but these uh, independent figures now are starting to show the extent of the problem. And I suppose... Focusing on individual stations and numbers and that does give us an insight but the real figures here is the number of retirements and resignations and the failure to meet um, recruitment targets which is going to manifest itself in a further decline so it's just it makes for very grim reading for our members and for the public who rely on the service.
1: Yeah. And of course, a bit like the HSE staff on the front line in A&E, the fewer Gardaí there are on the beat, the more difficult it is for those who remain in the force. And that's a problem that's going to get worse by all accounts.
2: Yes, that's a very, very serious problem we see. And I suppose when you delve into the figures deeper, the, de- the detail is, is not really evident. But uh, on top of the, the overall figure of decline numbers, we've had increased specialisation, which is referred to in the article. So the real depletion in numbers and the real shortfalls are in a frontline response unit, which are seeing uh, a lot of younger, junior members who are completely burned out on that frontline response piece in very high demand areas like the, the Dublin West division. So what we're saying that's where actually we're seeing increased resignations that are even at a higher proportion. So you have even fewer people shoulder an increase in burden and it really is shown in fatigue and in burnout and in welfare issues that our members across the organisation but particularly in those busy places and city centre stations too. Yeah.
1: And, and yet, if you think about recycling, the you know, give them uh, time in the leafy suburbs and then send them back out to Dublin West to put more people in. The problem, I suppose, is that the longer you spend in a place like Dublin West, and I hate to give one area a bad reputation, but the more experience you get in uh, handling the difficult policing tasks there, then you send a few rookies in from Templemore into that area and they will be overwhelmed.
2: Yes, that is is a problem. And as you you, you articulate there, that was a natural kind of flow and development of careers. And similarly, people would do their time in busy centres and cities maybe and then migrate to the rural areas. So again, the story today shows that the other loser gets frontline units. But, of course, when resources, the finite resources said, rural areas are losing their guards and rural stations, and we see more and more stations that are unmanned with no personnel have been covered from a, a, a further away. And, and, again, the statistics doesn't actually show the reality that many stations where there is a person allocated, the shortfall in maybe their district headquarters is so short that even members that are allocated stations in places like Donegal and Connemara and Mayo they're actually not working there on a day-to-day basis because they're needed elsewhere to fill yeah. gaps. So it, it's a, it, it's just a texture on the Titanic
1: use of Now, Brenda, talk to me about specialization. You mentioned the number of special units there are of uh, the Gardi, and obviously, if people are dedicated to one specific task, it's it's great that maybe the you know domestic violence gets more attention than it used to, and all of that but it means that general policing is going to be depleted with the creation of more and more special units.
2: Yes, that is, uh, I wouldn't say it's a problem. It's, it's, it's an outcome from that process. And as you alluded to there, in most divisions, that's right, all divisions, the domestic domestic violence units have been set up. That has gone, we've seen increases in roads policing maybe in the last decade, maybe that's starting to reverse. And we're, we're, we're told we're moving towards this model of better services and more specialisation and consistency across the organisation. But really what we're seeing then is actually a skilled depletion in, in rural areas where we used to have a small number of guards but had a, had a, had a kind of wide portfolio that, you know, with the community policing, the crime investigation, roads policing, all fell within their remit. And now we have this kind of thing where you've centralised resources. Yes, you have more specialised services available, but realistically they're not going to be available to travel to outlying areas and give them the attention so we would certainly have concerns that the model that's been um, brought in and people are being told about a, a better and a more consistent service and higher levels of professionalism and expertise, we don't see that manifest- manifesting itself as benefiting the, the communities and, and, and the people who are just saying we want to see a uniform, we want to see a presence, we want to interact And really, from a very supervisory and a a management perspective, we can now actually step back and see that the model of policing we had while it was criticized was actually quite cost-effective because you could use low numbers of personnel to cover, as I say, a wider portfolio with a broader skill set. Yeah. Specialisation is, is is just basically making less guards visible in communities, and that seems to be concerned for yeah. our no, members and for the public.
1: No, no Brendan, there were a number of initiatives. civilianization was uh, was one. Um, the whole idea of maybe using technology to diminish the amount of pen-pushing that Garthi had to do, maybe changes in uh, the way Garthi would be testifying in court and so on. Uh, I don't know whether even the rules of evidence could be changed that certain things would be taken for granted rather than having to have a Garthi swear on the Bible, etc., etc., etc. How many of those changes have been implemented and how many are effective?
2: Well, you know, I don't mean to be negative, but I would, I would, I would find it very hard, to, to name one function that has been relieved of sworn personnel that has been taken over exclusively for, by um, non-sworn staff. Certainly there's more staff there to complement us and to, to assist in some functions. But the, the, the really, that is not the, the, the reality for our members. And members are still required to carry out functions. There has been legislative changes. There have not been an increase in technology. The, the, the changes that have come in, for example, this new thing where we've centralised call-taking and call centres, now a member of the public rings a guard station. Speaks to a guard that says, "Sorry, hold on. I can't take the information. Wait there. I'll transfer you to a call centre in Galway or Waterford." And then the person's relay their story to a second person, and that's kind of indicative of what guards experience in out in cars. You go to an incident control dispatches the you. There's, there's a there's a there's uh, an incident is created on a, on a on a computer system. You have to go back to the station, call an understaffed call centre in Mayo, stay on hold maybe for. 10 minutes to speak to call operatives to update your incident that you've already spoken to someone over radio and updated the results so it's just duplication sitting in front of screens wasting time time off patrol and just bureaucracy gone mad really is what our members are describing Mm.
1: Um, and finally in terms of trying to recruit people and retain them is it true that there's a high attrition rate in Templemore itself that people don't make the cut
2: um, well, it's, 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 I mean, we don't have statistics on that, but we would also have had a bit of natural weight that the numbers starting wouldn't necessarily... I mean, that's part of any training process. Some people will drop out, some people will fail to meet themselves. But what we're hearing is that actually they're failing to meet recruitment targets, that the government have allocated the spending, the garage of has put the resources in, and we cannot actually get the people in the door of Temple more. So we've less people coming in that we want, but then the natural attrition is having an impact, and that's feeding into those figures that we saw in that article today.
1: And uh, I know you've told us before that morale is at rock bottom. Look, uh, thank you very much for joining us, Brendan. Uh, Brendan O'Connor, President of the Guard, the Representative Association. Paul Williams, Special Correspondent with the Irish Independent, is uh, listening to that conversation. Paul, um, this report is quite alarming in your paper this morning.
0: It certainly is. Um, and what it suggests uh, in basic terms is that, <clears throat> and Brendan has mentioned it and you've just talked about it, uh, never in, in the 30 years I've been covering the, uh, politics and the guards or uh, the business of Van Garda Shea calling and law enforcement in Ireland have I heard the terms recruitment, retention and poor morale all within the same bracket. Um, and that is something that has begun to emerge in the past two years or so. And what we're seeing here, and this has been going on now, Pat, for about two, two and a half years, is the exact same set of circumstances to the way the personnel crisis took root in the defense forces. And we know the defense forces have been left so depleted of the people and personnel that they're, be, they're barely fit for purpose. And this uh, is an under, it's, it's an undercurrent. And it is very, very worrying the amount of people who, like the Gardaí it was always seen as a vocation. It was a career for life. It was up to about ten years ago, Guardi were going into the High Court and fighting to stay on after sixty. Now you're seeing uh, a very strong trend, where Guardi who get to the basic twenty years to do their um, to get their pension <clears throat> are leaving in their droves. You're seeing people then who are joining the guards at the other end of the organization of food chain, Young Recruits. They are doing the unprecedented. They are starting to leave as well. You're seeing a lot of people who are not even getting to retirement age Are saying, I've had enough of this crap. I am moving off. I'm going to get a job in the private sector. And all of this, ultimately, is happening uh, under Drew Harris' a man, who's the leader, and he is the, where the book stops. He doesn't seem to have any explanation for it, and no one has asked him any questions publicly about this. But if this underlying current is allowed to continue, then what you are discussing there, Pat, about all the different areas of regard Chacon, all of them are going to be depleted, ultimately. And you also have this other fundamental and major problem, and that is that Gardaí on the ground... Will openly talk to you about how, on one side, they find themselves sta- sandwiched between a stifling oversight and management m- uh, managerial system and bureau- bureaucracy, as as, as uh, Brendan was talking about there, and then on the other side, I've an increasingly violent uh, working environment where, uh, where people have, as one d- inspector recently said from the North Inner City, that the public have clearly, in large areas, do not have any respect for Garda Shikona. So you're the cop. Uh, 25, 26 years of age, find yourself in that situation where you're damned if you do and damned if you don't. <clears throat> Tony Gallagher, this guard inspector I just referred to, he recently made the point and, and articulated what everybody else knows about and are afraid in a guard you can't speak out about it because they'll be, they'll be uh, punished and probably sanctioned and maybe even suspended. But the cop, average cop on the ground, he said, is now asking themselves when they're in a really tight spot or, or taking on a, a hostile the situation it, it, on the streets. They ask themselves a question. It's not about, I have to deal with this situation. The other question they have to ask or think outside the box is, what will happen to me if I do take action? Yeah. And that's an extraordinary situation where police have to, to uh, react in the spur of a moment <clears throat> to the mo- all kinds of unexpected situations. If you're going around looking over your shoulder at your own people, then and you're becoming so demoralized, the people who will suffer As a result of this, are the ordinary decent. uh, 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 Paul, here's
1: the uh, conundrum. Uh, The managers in the Guardi are not civilians. They're Guardi. You know, they've come up the ranks, they've been promoted, uh, so they should understand what the rank and file is going through. So, why are they behaving in a way which is inimical to the well being of their juniors?
0: That's the old history, the old story of division of labour, my friend. Um, it's about how do you get up that greasy pole and stay up the top of it with one of the top jobs. People in managerial positions, when they get into managerial positions, whether no matter what area of life it's in, they will play the managerial corporate game that prevails at the top. By the way, Pat, the superintendents associations uh, and superintendents generally the Gar- rank-and-file guardy, the sergeants, the inspectors, the people on the front line are all talking about this, although they can't speak about it publicly. Um, and it, it, they say they're stultified because the first thing that happens is that there is an overzealous disciplinary system. So if Brendan O'Connor, um, when he's been on this morning, brilliant and very eloquent and, and a great representative of Gardish O'Connor, but Brendan O'Connor has to walk like he's walking through a minefield when he's talking to you this morning on the show because if he, he's been monitored and if he veers um, by a, a letter out of a certain area he will receive a memo from Garda headquarters within about 10-15 minutes explain yourself you broke the rules you know it, it, it has and the public the, the public and our politicians are very happy with the current state of Angardish economy because there are no public scandals there are no public controversies the problem that this report in today's Irish Independent by uh, Sean McCarthy's brilliant uh, statistical research has shown that there is an underlying problem and it is, ex- it is evolving exactly the same way that the crisis of morale mm. in uh, the Defence Forces. Now, I started covering now, the Defence Forces controversy back in 2016 yeah. and at that stage, The same discussions were being held the first time I heard the terms recruitment, retention and poor morale. It was starting at the time and it took hold and nobody was paying any attention to it. The politicians came out and gave glib responses. Uh, uh, the, the, The army top brass gave the same glib responses that everything's okay, the same way you'll hear from Drew Harrison. They'll give you all this kind of managerial corporate babble. But at the end of the day, the crisis has taken hold. And I think... In, uh, in uh, of the past three or four decades, I would say on Garda is in an existential crisis.
1: All right. Well, uh, stay on the line, if you would, Paul, in case you want to contribute again. Lisa Chambers as leader of Shannon Aaron, listening to at least the tail end of that conversation. Uh, Lisa, good morning. Morning, Pat. Now, um, you know, there's... Uh, an observable change in the atmosphere and in Dublin city centre. We know that. I mean, reading a report about an Irish influencer, Charlene Murphy, viciously attacked while out for dinner, whether or not extra police would ever have uh, stopped that kind of thing, I do not know. But it's the kind of thing that makes um, people of all ages worry when they're traversing the capital city.
3: Yeah, no, I, I would agree with that. Um, you know, as somebody, I mean, I live in Castlebar in Mayo in, a, in a, rural, a rural town, a rural area. Um, and then I'm in Dublin during the week, obviously, for, for my work in, in, in the Shannon. And, you know, I can tell you that there is anti-social behaviour problems in all parts of the country. It's not, you know, it's not just in our cities. Um, all rural towns are having the same issue in terms of lack of Garda presence on the street. You know, people people being able to see their Garda be visible in the community. Certainly in Dublin City Centre, as somebody that's there, kind of, I'm there midweek for a couple of nights a week for work. Um, I've noticed a change. I've altered my route back to where I'd stay. Uh, and we'll be far more conscious, particularly since the pandemic and kind of now that we've come out of lockdown more than a year ago now, there's been a marked change in, have, in, in in the feeling of safety in the city centre in, in parts where you wouldn't ordinarily have considered it. So there has definitely been a change. There's very few guards visible on the street. So the public will tell you themselves. They don't see the Garda presence yeah. that they want. Uh, do, do you uh, believe that,
1: that the Garda kind of lost the streets uh, during the pandemic when, you know, they were as worried about COVID as anybody else and they changed their policing uh, habits? And then we had drinking on the streets and uh, almost riots in some parts of uh, the city centre and elsewhere, you know, unacceptable social behaviour that was not curbed by the Garda in a timely fashion.
3: I think they probably did their best in a very difficult situation. I mean, we had people that were socializing on the streets because there was nowhere else to go. So I think the Garvey were dealing with an unprecedented situation and they did, I think they did pretty well in all all considering the circumstances that they found themselves in. But we know that assaults on Garvey are up 10% in the last year. Um, We know that around 300 Garvey are out from work injured every year because of assaults and there's a thousand members. Of the force actually assaulted annually, so that's a big problem. And you know, the Garda Representative Association has raised this issue. I know that they recently thought meeting. I think only a couple of weeks ago with the Taoiseach the Taunista, and the Minister for 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 Justice on this issue. So safety within the force is a problem. And I think because you're seeing the, the recruitment and retention issue in the force now, the numbers not being where they need to be, we're probably close to a thousand short. And where. Um, the Garvey would like to be in terms of strength We want to get to 15,000 or just over 14,000 at the minute. That's putting pressure on frontline services because there isn't enough Garvey to do those jobs. You know, and I listened to to what Paul was saying there around the Defence Forces and he mentioned 2016. I was Opposition Defence Spokesperson in 2016. I was a former member of the Defence Forces for, for 13 years. And I can tell you without a doubt, this is we should be there should be alarm bells ringing right now because what is happening in the guardian is what has happened already in the defense forces we have an ongoing recruitment and retention crisis in the defense forces. it's been there for many many years we've become accustomed to it we're we're quite used to hearing those terms that terminology when it comes to the defense forces we need to listen very carefully now to what the members of the guardian are saying Mm -hmm. to us because this can be turned around this is early stages and we can address this But what we don't want is for this situation to bed in and become irreversible or something that becomes a a serious challenge. And we can only do that by listening to members. I know that the Garda Representative Association have sought the establishment of a task force to examine these key issues around recruitment, retention, um, assaults within the force and just the general culture within the force. Why is it now the case? that if you go back five, ten years ago and and members joined the force, it was a job for life. Why is that no longer the case? Why are members leaving
1: early? Okay, Uh, one text from Brian. He says, I'm a retired Garda. I heard it explained very well recently by a serving member. He said that young Garthi, when faced with an incident where they must confront a wrongdoer, are more concerned with keeping their jobs than keeping the peace. Is that it in a nutshell?
3: Well, I mean, I think we have to listen to that member if that's their feeling of it. I'm sure that he or she is not alone. Um, You know, and and there's no doubt about it. There's a lot more scrutiny and focus on the Gardaí and members themselves and how they conduct themselves. And we are trying to modernise our police forces, no doubt about that. And Pat, you mentioned as well the establishment of special units. You know, like like around domestic violence. Again, that's pulling members in different directions. So we are in a transition phase or period yeah. where there has been a lot of change within within the Garda Síochána, and that's having an impact on numbers that are staying in the force and coming into the force so ultimately it's about getting around the table with members seeing what the issues are and addressing them now not in five and ten years time because that's when it will become an issue that we find very difficult uh, to resolve. Mm.
1: Yeah, this texter says uh, I was in Estonia recently police there go around in threes there's no messing. Uh, That's from Mike and Claire, who observes that. Uh, Why is no one talking about the scumbags who are violent towards Gardaí? Tougher sentences required. That's from Marion Cork. It's a tough one. The judiciary do their own thing. um, And, you know, that's the way justice works. And you can't have mandatory sentences, I suppose, for uh, a small degree of antisocial behaviour, however damaging to the victims it might be. I don't know where we go from here, Lisa.
3: Yeah, I mean, sentencing is, is a, I suppose, a connected but separate issue. I'm not sure that's going to solve the issues we have in terms of the Garda the numbers. I think ultimately, you know, there are, you know, there are good things happening. There are plans this year to take in 200 recruits every three months to try and hit that 15,000 target. You know, we have seen a reduction in staff numbers in some Garza stations, but equally we've seen an increase in Garda numbers in some Garza stations. So it's not all, it's not all bad news. But what I'm saying is we're getting the early warning signs now from members on the ground in the force telling us that they're not happy and that that is, Resulting in numbers leaving and, and, and less numbers coming in. We just need to take that seriously. We need to listen to it and we need to deal with it now, not in five to ten years'
1: time. All right, Lisa, thank you very much uh, for joining us. That's uh, Lisa Chambers, who's leader of uh, uh, Shannon Aaron, uh, Paul Williams, special correspondent uh, with the Irish Times. And before that, we had Brendan O'Connor, the president of the Gartha representative. The Pat Kenny Show with Aviva Insurance. Weekdays at 9 a.m. on News Talk.